0: Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Abert with Environmental Defense Fund. Simone, it has been an exciting week. Um, I mean, how does your week get better when you start it by attending LSU's National Championship game? I was not fortunate enough to go, but I was certainly watching. I was a little nervous in the first quarter. Um, But then it just got better and better. A couple
1: and they have not won them all. So um, I think that that is, you know, I think that Monday night's outcome was the best that we could have.
0: Yeah, well, congratulations to our Tigers. We're so um, proud of them and excited. I remember, you know, I think when they won the last championship, um, I I don't think I was living here. I was in college, but um, you know, I think my family sent me the, uh, the newspaper art, uh, article the front page that I still have. So I it, thought
1: it was pretty funny. They gave like a, a good shout out to why you should still subscribe to the newspaper, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. Well, and it's been, um, you know, a busy week, of course, we've had our, you know, team retreat all week. Um, and go then, team. yeah, go team. And then, you know, you have a big, uh, thing coming up next week. It's your, your, Birthday. Oh, I
1: almost forgot about that. I was like, yes, I'm going to Washington. But yes, it is it is my birthday. That is true. Yes Aww. indeed. Yes, well, indeed. happy
0: early birthday. And yes, I have to you. ask you a fun question. If you birthday. ask me how
1: many decades I am, like my daughter does, I'm gonna kill
0: yeah, you. No. no, we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. But um, your fun question, and this is courtesy of Miss Joni Tuck. Wait,
1: oh, is this what we do now? Um, yes. Okay.
0: Is have you ever had a party at Wheeler Rolling? <laughs>
1: Wheels are rolling. Okay. That is the skating rink. And no, I did not. I had a um, roller skating party at Aggies, oh. which all of our Terrabone listeners will know exactly what Aggies okay. is. Growing up in Homa, you had like three birthday parties a bowling birthday party, a skating birthday party, and a McDonald's birthday party. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have all three. Yes.
0: Wow. You hit the triple crown of birthdays yes, in Homa. In Homa. In Homa. That's, in Homa, that's yes. great. Follow up question. Um, what I is like that your... we're doing
1: this now. We're gonna. I'm gonna remember this
0: for the future. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> what is your favorite birthday king cake?
1: I, I so everybody in my family knows that I love I love desserts stuff like that. That's fine, but every year I have a king cake for my birthday, and my favorite king cake is Cajun Pecan House from Cut Off. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. They had a Coach O King Cake. And it was purple and gold and it was regular kinda I say it was in a no shape, but they also had a number nine and it came with a Coach O cookie. I can't I'm gonna have to show you my
0: cookie. Okay. It's so cute. That is amazing. It almost
1: made you feel bad for, like, eating cocho cookie. Like, um, but they, oh, they just have the best king cakes.
0: Well, I know you'll be headed to D.C. Mardi Gras oh, yeah. next yes. week. Yes. Um, We'll still have our what show. What are you going to do
1: without me? I don't know. I might hmm. talk about birds. Or oysters. Yeah, exactly. Or birds again.
0: Yeah. Um, But, but you know, we're glad you're going to represent, and I hope you get your delicious birthday yeah. cake before well, you go. If you
1: remember, we, last year we tried to do the radio show from D.C., and that was crazy town. Yeah, So it's a little bit but okay, since busy... you wouldn't come to D.C. with me, uh, you'll have to go at it solo next Well,
0: week. I'm going to hold down the fort, but hopefully one day I will get to experience D.C. Mardi Gras. But I'm so excited about our show today. Um, this is these we have guests that we've wanted to have on for a while. Mm-hmm. Um You know, we've worked with them quite a bit on a series of films that um, they have, you know, released in certain festivals and will be rolling out later this year. Um, But you may have heard of the films. They were at the New Orleans Film Festival earlier, or I guess last year. Um, Last Call for the Bayou. Five stories from Louisiana's disappearing Delta. Um, These Films were produced and shot and directed um, by Encompass Films, which includes Dominic Gill, the director, and Nadia Gill, the producer. And we're excited to have them on Delta Dispatches. So welcome to Delta Dispatches, guys. How are things in the other L.A.?
2: (laughs) Well, hi. Thanks for having us. Um, I can't actually be sure because I am at the moment in a very, very snowy uh, Lake Tahoe, California.
1: Ah, that's okay, too. The L.T.? Yeah, are they the LT it, over there and not the L.A.? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I would say so. I, I, it's more than okay. It's amazing, actually. It's uh, it's a, l- a little different from where you're sat, I guess. Are you a skier? Yes, I yes. am. When time allows, I, uh, I love to ski. Very
0: good, very good. Awesome. And Nadia, are you also in Tahoe or are you holding down the fort in L.A.?
3: I am. We're together right now, and actually, the snow is pouring down. It's a winter wonderland. Just so
1: you know, it's about 80 degrees in New Orleans yeah. today. I'm not even
0: kidding. And 100% humidity, <laughs> so we'll gladly treat. Definitely 100% humidity.
1: Um,
2: yeah, I'd say it's pretty humid here, but it's in the form of uh, snow. <laughs> oh,
1: okay, now you're just rubbing it in. I know. I know.
0: <laughs> Um, Well, I mean, you all are, you know, no strangers to going to beautiful places and doing um, a lot of kind of outdoors filmmaking. Um, Certainly, you were in some interesting places here in Louisiana for the films, and we're going to talk about that. But tell us a little bit about your background as filmmakers and also about Encompass Films.
2: Yeah, so um, my background is is definitely in... Sort of adventure sports. I traveled all over the world on strange contraptions, including bicycles, uh, filming the places and people that I came across. Um, and Nadia and I teamed up uh, in 2011 to uh, make films uh, in a similar vein about other people and, and other people's stories in different environments. Um, and coming from adventure sports, uh, the way we we tapped into the 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 delta to begin with was was found one of our five subjects that appear in in the five films that you're talking about uh, whose name is Ben Depp and uh, he is a paragliding uh, uh, landscape photographer, so obviously that fits pretty squarely into our remit of adventure um, and given my background in in science and in environmental science. It also provides an interesting opportunity to uh, tell uh, a really important environmental story. Um, But obviously, looking into his story, we found uh, a lot more. And uh, we figured it would be a real disservice to the subject of, of Louisiana's wetlands if we stopped there. So we began to delve much deeper.
0: Yeah, and um, I, I think we've had Ben on the show before. His yeah, photography I remember is, at least talking to Alex about being with Ben, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and his photography is just incredible. You can go to bendapp.com to to kind of check it out. Of course, he's in certain galleries here um, as well. But, okay, so Ben is quite a unique photographer, and he's one of, like you mentioned, the features of one of the films um, on a wing and a prayer. So tell us about his process for photographing the wetlands?
3: So Betna has a journalistic photography background and uh, I think he was looking for a story that he could tell in pictures um, in a way that was really unique and he became really, after living in New Orleans for some time, he was obviously, became aware of the environmental issue of the degradation of the wetlands and as a photographer, he realized that there weren't very many vantage points that would allow him to actually capture the wetlands. And so he actually, for the exercise of um, figuring out how to portray the wetlands in the most effective and beautiful way, he uh, learned to paraglide. And as Louisiana being flat, paragliding is really just paramotoring because there's no (laughs) real mountains for you to jump off in Louisiana. So you have to strap a, a motor to your back and and so he started that journey, and over the couple over the course of a few years, he amassed uh, an incredible portrait of the physicality of the wetlands. And uh, he says it's his uh, his effort to really show people what they can't see, what they're missing because of the flat um, environmental landscape.
2: It's worth, it's worth mentioning that he started kind of from the same point as everyone else, which is, uh, you know, a, a, I guess a majority of, of certainly people that live in New Orleans their familiar, familiarity of what the wetlands look like comes from flying in and out of the airport. You get a you know two or three minutes glimpse if you're lucky of the wetlands before you disappear into the clouds, and I think that's what initially sparked his his interest.
0: Yeah, and I mean Simone and I and our organizations do that all the time, where we'll take people up on um, you know planes and kind of show them through these tours what the wetlands look like, and that vantage point is so unique and powerful at the same time. And Ben, I mean, has been able to capture that in his photography, but you all captured it and that experience in the film just so beautifully. And I, I remember being in the Contemporary Arts Center for the New Orleans Film Festival and seeing that film on the big screen. And it, it is just breathtaking to see kind of that vantage point, the the imagery, and just you, you feel like you're literally flying along with Ben for the ride, which you all did, is that correct?
2: Yeah, I... Um... I have used a lot of drones for cinematography in my time and I figured that would just be uh downright disrespectful in <laughs> in this situation. But partly because what Ben is doing is very, very human. It's it's uh he is physically flying above the wetlands and physically pressing, you know, the shutter on his camera to, to capture an image. Um so I, I didn't want to neglect the very human feel uh to his story. Um, and drones are a sort of uh, very almost almost alien-like in their smoothness. Um, so I figured the, the 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 best thing, the best way to capture this would be to fly in another paramotor with or above him and and essentially track him doing doing what he does best. So part of the reason the film looks so good is is because we're flying. You know, at times of day that Ben captures his his stunning footage. Uh, he always says he he goes in search of magic, which often <laughs> happens at at sunrise and sunset when this incredibly flat landscape actually becomes in really three dimensional.
3: Yeah, and I just want to give a shout out actually to a um, uh, local. Um, paraglider from Lafayette named Matt Minyard, who actually did the job of taking Dominic up in a tandem paramotor for this project. So we Mm -hmm. were also able to experience more of um, Louisiana's hospitality and generosity through Matt.
0: That's awesome. And, um, you know, I want we're going to talk more about some of the other films, but um, On a Wing and a Prayer, you know, that actually has been released online. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's it's actually on uh, CNN's online platform called Great Big Story, uh, where you will find a myriad amazing, usually sort of five to ten minute short uh, films, and uh, and they definitely picked Ben's as one that was uh, special to them. So that's that's up there right now.
0: That's awesome, and congratulations for that, you know, uh, recognition and that distribution of, of the film. And we'll be sure to link to it in the episode. Um, But yeah, I mean, before we dive into some of the other films, so I mean, tell us about your process for for doing these. I mean, how long were you in Louisiana? I mean, how did you kind of coming from, you know, doing other types of filmmaking to kind of doing this environmental filmmaking focused so specifically on this region? I mean, how did you even get started in in terms of finding the stories, finding the people, et cetera?
3: Dominic and I had been making outdoor films for some time, and within that niche, we realized very quickly we weren't really interested in telling only stories of action or adventure, where the protagonist was really just doing something for themselves as a sense of achievement. We always wanted there to be, you know, kind of a more social issue aspect. um, And... Sports or action sports as any other sports is a great conduit for talking about some of the major issues of the human condition and have been for some time. And so we just kind of leaned on that tradition. And when we hunted for stories that we wanted to tell, we just made sure that there was a deeper aspect. And as we spoke about earlier, that kind of led us to Ben specifically. But when we, when we, whenever we start a project, we have to do a lot of research. We can't – as documentarians, we can't just um, – assume that we know what what it is that needs to be said. And so in our endeavor to learn more about um, the wetlands issue, specifically as it relates to Louisiana, um, it became apparent rather quickly that the story was much larger than could be told through um, a subject like Ben and his work. Through that, we began to reach out to organizations, including RMRD, And um, and through talking to people, we were able to kind of put together another idea that instead of doing a single short film, we would do a series of short films and each short film could kind of address a specific aspect um, that was important to the story, whether that was the oil and gas industry or the uh, levying of the Mississippi River or the um, changing of the Mississippi Flyway or all, all these little aspects of. Um, various things which have occurred you know in the last 20 years and right now um, with the wetlands issue. And so once we decided that we wanted to do a mini series, we asked we just asked people who we um, met there for a lot of help in identifying characters. They introduced us to other wonderful Louisiana and superV part of the project. and bit by bit the piece kind of came together.
2: And this is you know this, but this is where you guys came in.
0: Yeah, and it was so great, I mean, to work with you all and kind of h- hear your thoughts and ideas and and kind of see how this project transformed and then actually seeing the films themselves. Um, and, you know, I, I love that um, you could watch the films together, as a lot of us did, uh, to well oversold out. You know, they had to bring in chairs at the New Orleans <laughs> Film Festival. As it a was a compliment. It was a huge crowd, um, and everyone loved them. But to see them together was great, but also individually as, as kind of, and standalone vignettes, and yeah, stand-alone yeah. vignettes is good work films um, you know it's so interesting and and how you're able to t- take an issue as big as coastal land loss and you know climate change and sea level rise and 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 just dissect it to show how it impacts so many areas it was so incredible so we definitely want to um, come back from the break and, and dive into some of the other films but so on uh, A Wing and a Prayer online. And then you all have been busy on the festival circuit as well. So tell us some of the festivals and places where these other films have been shown.
3: So actually, um, this weekend, we have a festival coming up here in uh, Northern California called Wild and Scenic in Nevada City, California. It's an environmental and outdoor focus festival. And they'll be screening all five of the films um, together as a program set. As well as they're going to be showing episode two, Mud, Sweat and Fears, with Alex Kolker about um, uh, the master plan and the ability to grow land. Uh, they'll be showing those all, as well separately with, uh, as a precursor to some other um, feature length film. So it's going to be a great showing and that's really exciting. Also coming up in March, we have the DC Environmental Film Festival. Um, where they'll also be showing all five films as a program set. And through that, we hope to invite a lot of people in the D.C. area who may be our policy, uh, who have policy initiatives and who can see the film and possibly affect some change. So those are some festivals we have coming up. In the past, we did New Orleans Film Festival. We did um, Hot Springs in Arkansas. Um, We did Austin Film Festival and a few others. I think we've been kind of dotting along and kind of using those as ways to stay motivated and talk about the films until we're able to release them online. They are actually intended for digital distribution and will ultimately be fully digitally distributed. And um, the festivals are just exciting ways to show them to audiences. In you know a big theater where their attention can be focused and the amazing photography that Dominic did can be shown off.
0: Awesome, and we'll certainly keep people posted as you know we hear about any of that online distribution. But for now, we're about to head into a break. Nadia, real quick, what is the website where people can go to kind of see the trailer, learn more about the the films, and and support you all in this effort?
3: So the website where you can find out more about the films is www.lastcallforthebayou.com. Same name of the films. And um, please reach out to us there. We have our Facebook and our Twitter and our uh, Instagram and on this kind of social media follow-alongs on that side as well.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll be right back with Nadia and Dom Gill um, with Encompass Films. We're talking about Last Call for the Bayou, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity.
1: Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation
0: values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect Coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive, in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org
2: slash Louisiana. Hi,
0: I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Environmental Defense Fund. And I'm
1: Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat.
0: And we're here with the filmmakers for *Last Call for the Bayou*, Nadia and Dom Gill with Encompass Films. Um, we're talking about you know these beautiful films that were produced, shot in Louisiana, documentaries that feature a lot of. You know, some of our familiar faces mm-hmm. and guests that we've had on before, um, including Dr. Alex Kolker with mm-hmm. LUMCON. Of course, Alex is right now doing his maybe he's listening. Fulbright <laughs> in Morocco. But um, he was also recently in the New York Times um, yeah, with uh, LUMCON, yeah. kind of studying sea level rise at the forefront of sea level rise. So um, a really important article there. Um, but he is in the film Mud, Sweat, and, Te- and Fears. So um, probably some tears. Yeah, <laughs> Well, yes, but um, so Nadia and Dom, tell us about that film. Tell us about Alex. I I know you all went out on a boat with Alex, which is always a fun experience. (laughs) Wait, did Alex drive? (laughs) He did drive the boat. (laughs) Um, So tell us about Alex Kolker and what that film kind of covers.
2: Well, I'll say to begin with that um, no subject can be really effectively communicated to an audience if, the character communicating that subject is uh, not particularly interesting. Uh, we didn't have that problem with Alex. <laughs> he is, as you guys know, an interesting and quite funny guy. He doesn't always mean to be. Um, and I think we he, he might have thought we exploited that slightly at some points in, in the lab and stuff. But um, he is an incredibly good communicator and uh is very has a very sort of obviously broad understanding of the wetlands through his work. Uh and I- including obviously the, the the human aspect of the wetlands which is, is very much wrapped up in science, contrary to what people sort of think. They often separate science and and you know the, the anthropogenic effects. Um so finding him was was excellent, but we followed him along um, with one of his then uh, PhD students, um, or is it PhD students? Post, yeah. mm-hmm. Postdocs, no, PhD, PhD no. students. Um, no. On uh, on their work, uh, looking actually specifically with Molly at uh, Davis Pond and the ability of uh, freshwater diversions to grow land. Um, and so Alex told that's really the core of Alex's episode: the potential we have of uh, essentially. Uh, Crudely put, cutting these holes in the levee and 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 creating land.
1: Yeah, Alex has been on the show more than a few times before he left us for a little while. Even brought Dupree with him, right? I wonder who's taking care of of Dupree Dupree these days, right? But. Alex is uh, a great example of a science communicator, right? He's um, approachable, and you can understand what he's talking about, and he says it in a way. He is interesting. You know, we've had him tell stories um, before, and Davis Pond is an important story to tell about this idea of this project that didn't turn out exactly how they thought, um, but in a good way, in, in one of the on-the-ground examples that we have of how um, that unintentionally we are you know, building lands here in Louisiana. So um, thank mm. you for featuring him. I also know that you also featured Albertine Kimball, right? Um, and she's another interesting another person. Another character, I'd say. <laughs> so yeah, tell us about
0: Albertine and um, the film The Duck Queen of Plaquemines Parish.
1: Do I have to call her that? Say, Officially he, Queen, Albertine? Oh, well,
2: <laughs> yeah. It's it's, 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 self, it's self-appointed, but she's quite proud of the fact <laughs> it's self-appointed. Then,
3: <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you can tell that we were listening to Delta Dispatches before we actually made the film, <laughs> because um, These are that's all... how we heard of Alex and Albertine from previous uh, uh, previous episodes that you did. And um, Albertine, she's such a character, but she also is a great communicator, actually, Um, Just her legacy of having worked for the state for so many or the parish for so many years and um, traveling the area by boat and then witnessing firsthand the changes over the years um, is really someone who's so intimately familiar with the disappearance of the wetlands was a real treat for us as filmmakers um, just to be shown that even even without a camera just to go down there on a boat with her and have her take us around and kind of explain, you know, what she's experienced over the years. so, and we just knew when we even just the first time we talked to her on the phone that um, she would make a really dynamic um, subject, and that people who wanted to know more about this issue would be really drawn to listening to her. So that's always very important to us as filmmakers. Um, you know, who can who can tell you the information firsthand, but also who's engaging that people who may not otherwise be that interested in the subject will still stay with you and want to learn about the subject because they find the communicator so interesting.
2: There's a big difference between effect, you know, telling a story and sounding like you care about the story you're telling and, and all our subjects, you know, I think that comes across pretty profoundly.
3: Yeah, I also think Albertine was, uh, Albertine was really important because um, she was the second or third person that we decided to, Um, do. And one thing that was clear to us is that as much as we wanted to profile Ben, he was not a native um, Louisianan. And we wanted to create a story that profiled at least several, you know, people from Louisiana who were born and bred and lived and breathed um, the disappearance of the wetlands themselves. And so when we talked to Albertine, you know, just living her life down, um, what is, where does she always say she's from? Carlisle. Uh, Carlisle. Population one. Uh, Carlisle. I'm like, is that Population a place? <laughs> yeah.
2: well, it, it won't be when she leaves. Yeah.
3: Um, it just, it was, it resonated a lot for us to, to sort of get into the spirit of Louisiana. And we're so happy that in the end, you know, we didn't just have Albertine, but also Gleason and Keisha, other native um, Louisianans um, from the Bayou who... Um, just really brought alive um, the culture, the spirit um, in a way that Dominic and I just fell in love. Like a lot of times people ask us, why did you decide to do this? And I think it started with the environmental issue, but it very much took a turn for love for the people and the places um, that we were visiting and love for Louisiana. And so we hope that really came out in the films because it's so easy to appreciate um, what we're losing, not only in terms of land, but in terms of culture.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And of course, you know, Albertine being an East Bank uh, <laughs> lifelong resident. Here we go. And, uh, I mean, that, that film <laughs> had a special place in my heart. And I remember just like kind of getting tears in my eyes at yeah. the end when she's coming out of St. Thomas uh, Catholic Church in Point La Hache. And but aren't
1: you proud of somebody like, and now I'm interviewing Jacques, but <laughs> when you see Albertine, right? I mean, she represents so much of where you came mm-hmm. from, right? You need people like Albertine.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's, it's exactly to your point that, you know, Everyone's on the same page in terms of what we're fighting for, in terms of what we're trying to achieve the end goal. We want to have, you know, try to save this place that's so special and has been in in families uh, and, and, you know, where there's that culture for so long. But even folks like Ben and and Alex, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they fell in love with it. Um, They fell in love with the place and they're working in their own way to preserve it. And I think that comes through tremendously when in the films. At,
1: at our retreat this week, somebody said it's very hard to walk away from this place, right? Yeah. You know? And so mm-hmm. um, I'd like to think that Ben and Alex would have the same issues too.
0: So I do want to talk a little bit, um, we're about to head to another break, but the, another film, like you mentioned, Gleason um, mm-hmm. and his, you know, beautiful family um, and uh, the story sink or swim about kind of Louisiana fishermen and kind of what they're experiencing in, in terms of the challenges, of a changing coast. So, tell us about Gleason and and that film.
3: So, we formatted the film very organically through reading about the issues first, um, the technical um, the technical aspects of the wetlands, and then very much like the the struggles that the community was having to figure out what to do. And um, you know, after a few. After our first trip down there, it became really apparent that we needed somebody from the commercial fishing community to have their own voice in the film and be represented. Um, So we started talking to people, and we also knew it was an incredible opportunity to kind of—the diversity of people who work in commercial fishing is uh, incredible. And we wanted the film to reflect that and reflect Louisiana and its diversity. And so we made a lot of phone calls, and we finally came across Gleason. And when we first talked to him on Skype, we just fell in love with him. He's this um, generosity of spirit and his um, way of storytelling. He's just a really lovable person. So we were so excited to be able to film with Gleason. And I think we learned a lot um, just in how you have to talk to everybody and get their point of view in order to really understand the fullness of what's going on in Louisiana. And we really wanted to do justice to Gleason's side of the story because so many people Um, you know, they feel like they're not being heard or they're not being seen, especially when it comes to restoration. And they don't want to be viewed as um, anti-restoration, but they also want people to understand that, you know, their industry and their livelihood is very much dependent on the way things are. And so it was a very special story. And I hope that um, we know that Gleason was happy with it and we were really intimidated i think to show him and, and know that we wanted to make him feel like he was heard
0: yeah and i think one of the things that really comes through in that film is the um, you know intergenerational struggle and challenges that you know Particularly, people in the commercial fishing industry, but you know, people living along these coastal areas are facing right that maybe their kids can't do the jobs that they and their parents did, or live in the places where they and, and their families have lived for a long time, and and that tie to family and place and generation was just so powerful. And you know, I, I think Albertine okay. and Gleason have different views about maybe how we restore the mm-hmm. coast, um, but it was mm-hmm. powerful to see them at the film festival, you know, talking after, and they're like, "I, th- we're trying to achieve the same thing at the right, end of the day, right. and we're, you know, fighting in a way on the same team.
1: Almost like, not, don't waste your time fighting each other, yeah. but figure out, maybe instead spend your time, figure out ways you can work together.
2: Totally. I, I We were lucky enough to be invited by Gleason to uh, a shrimp boil down at his, his place in Port Sulphur, and Albertine came to that, and it was the day before the screening. And uh, to see them talking together and listening to each other and, and discussing the you know myriad issues was really special. And, and that's that's the most important thing that these you know films can do for people is is create a dialogue with people that might, in some circumstances, not talk to each other.
0: Well certainly you know another just really powerful impact of the films and i can't wait for more people to see them nadia and dom we're about to head into a break but we have one more segment do you mind hanging on i do want to talk about kasha and south as south can go and and kind of just get some general uh perspectives on on this experience for you all so if you don't mind holding on um we'll be right back on delta dispatches on wgso nine ninety a.m
2: the aspn network coastal news for the pelagic minded
0: Listening to Delta Dispatches, we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Aver with Environmental Defense Fund.
1: And I'm Simone Malaz with Restore or Retreat.
0: And we're back with Nadia and Dom Gilm Gil, excuse me, uh filmmakers with Encompass Films. Um, Did you
1: try to give him a Cajun name? What were you doing there?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was maybe trying to Cajify your last name. Apologies for that. Um I would like that. It would be Gilbo,
1: <laughs> right? Gilbo?
0: We could do Gilbo. Yeah, I mean that's a
1: legit. Yeah. That's a legit South Louisiana name.
0: Dominique Gilbo?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'd have you know. to work on naughty We'll get a you bit, some though. We'll get you some jerseys. There we go. <laughs> um,
0: but before we, we're going to talk more about the films. We it, we can't not do our coastal style of the week and our we're, voice we're of the week. We're obligated by statute, exactly. <laughs> so it is time for the coastal style of the week from Quipra Outreach. Um Shout the, out, Quipra. Hey, Quipra. Um, the Gulf of Mexico is home to over fifteen thousand four hundred and twenty species, and that was posted on their Instagram page. So go follow them on Instagram. And that directly ties into our coastal voice of the week, who which is from Edward in Lacombe. Edward okay. says it is a natural habitat for fish, birds, and other wildlife while protecting us from storm surge. I like
1: it. Yeah. Lecom.
0: Look at that. We created, we created a little theme. So, um, all right. Well, uh, Dom and Nadia, we're, we were talking about the films and we definitely want to talk about South as South Can Go, um, the film that features Kasha Clay and, and her family. And just so Simone doesn't think, you know, it's all about the East Bank of Plaquemines, this is in her neck of the woods and yeah. Terrebonne. So <laughs> tell us about Kasha and, and about this film.
2: Well, I'll first of all say that I, Kasha was our last, um, she's obviously the last episode she was also the last person we found um uh to cover in the series and while I was feverishly editing the first three or four films Nadia was still uh hunting for for the for the last person to to tell story really the the human aspect of the story uh and the and the very cultural aspect of the story but I'll let Nadia talk about that a little bit
3: yeah i think um by the time we came across Keisha's story, we realized that we had most of the like facts and circumstances of um, the wetlands issue laid out, but I really felt like we hadn't brought home meaning that much to it, and so we had been introduced to Keisha through a friend of mine who works um, in Louisiana, and we were thinking, what's the best way we can utilize the experiences of the Native Americans of Louisiana? and just thinking about um, forced migration, even though maybe it wasn't environmental in the days when the Native Americans had been forced to migrate, it became a really important theme and something that maybe their experience could educate us about and could kind of, you know, give a nod to the potential forced migration that might happen um, in the wetlands because of the sea level rise and the disappearance of the bayous. And so we really wanted to really bring to the forefront that, People don't just lose land. um, They lose experiences. They lose connections to the land. They lose culture. And so much is tied into it. And when you think about, you know, should we restore the wetlands or how should we save the wetlands? You know, as much as it's about, you know, coastal protection from storms or navigation of the Mississippi, it's also deeply about people and it's deeply about places and it's deeply about culture. And so we position that film for the end to kind of drive home that message. Yeah, I was
1: um, participating in this uh, other kind of workshop at the end of last week. And somebody said, um, in this town in Mississippi, in one of the elementary schools, once a week, they had an older person from the community come in and tell a story to the kids, like a real story, obviously, like about, you know, and I just thought, how cool is that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, story hour with the real person and a real life experience but the point of doing that was to pass down this knowledge that you know these stories would end and you know they they wouldn't live on anywhere as a fabric you know in the community and so I thought that was such a great story mm-hmm. and I would love to see it and and it sounds like it's it's kind of come to fruition here in Louisiana but this like story you know, about, oh, when my grandma was there, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and it sounds yeah. like they talked about some of the tribal elders.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, so one of Keisha's projects um, was to do a lot of documentation of, of stories of her elders and their their recollections of the coast and, and life on the bayous uh, over, you know, the last, you know, in some cases, 60 or 70 years and how that's changed. And with that knowledge, uh, it can help mold our understanding of, of what to do in future, uh, which is a a really interesting thing. Um, but I, I, think also what was fascinating for me is, um, indigenous communities all over the world have more typically led, uh, either slightly more nomadic lives or more, um, organic lives that don't leave a huge infrastructure behind them, uh, when they disappear. Um, so, it's much more in synergy with the world around them. Um, but it also means that you don't have this more sort of colonial idea of history. We can't track physical history through time, uh, which when you think about it, is kind of unhealthy. If we're leaving that much detritus in our wake, uh, that we know exactly where we've been. Um, so I like, I like the fact that with, you know, Keisha's story and with the indigenous story worldwide, really it's through storytelling that, that we understand their past and maybe their future.
0: Yeah, and I think in the film, uh, I mean, it's also about the the younger generation mm-hmm. and you see Keisha and her um, elders kind of like helping teach the younger generations about their culture, but also about land loss. And there's this scene where they're seated around a table and they're talking about, you know, um, you know, what's at stake and, and kind of the risk and the knowledge that these young kids had was really incredible um, about the issue. Really and lost, then also... Yeah. Saying that well, this is our this is our elders, right? It's mm-hmm. not just it's this is our you know, that recognition of the importance beyond just land or acreage. Right, you right. know. So That's that the connection. Really powerful. Yeah. Well, Nadia and Tom, we're almost out of time. I have to ask um really quick, I mean, what was was there anything that was like s- surprising or what was the most kind of looking back, unexpected element like an of aha this moment? Yeah, mm-hmm. of this whole process.
3: Um, I'm really glad you asked I actually wanted to share the story with you earlier, but we moved on from the subject and um, we had a really really special experience um, down when we were filming Albertine's video in Carlisle and we had gone down with her to St. Thomas Church and you know to record that scene at the end and while we were there, um, it was you know an, an evening it was, it was dark outside and um, they sang this hymn and we heard this woman singing in the back of the church and it felt so. Um, emotional and visceral, and we left the church, and Dominic and I were talking to each other about that hymn and the singing and the woman, and we looked at each other, and we said, man, it would be really great if somehow we could capture her singing that hymn for the end of Albertine's piece. So we asked Albertine if she knew who the woman was, and she said, yes, her name is Miss Olivia Tinson, and she's a longtime resident um, down there, and so We said, Albertine, is there any chance that we can call up Olivia and ask her if she'd be willing to record herself singing the hymn so that we can use it for the end of the film? And Albertine said, well, we could certainly ask. So she (laughs) did call Miss Olivia Tinson and she did agree. And so we invited her up to Albertine's um, house in Carlisle. And we tucked into uh, a quiet room and we recorded it there with her. And now it's the end of um, the music for Albertine's film. And I think it's really poignant and so special and just another extra nod to the culture and the people down there that maybe isn't apparent to people watching the film, but that we know, you know, has the life and blood and the soul of Louisiana in it.
0: It's Mm so powerful (laughs) and you captured it it, it, right it's not
1: lost it's also documented and to have
0: that and like you know every time i watch that film it's just i can't help but get tears in my eye you know so um well it has been a pleasure having you all on the show i know you're going to be busy at wild and scenic and dc environmental film festival and we will certainly keep people posted as these films you know are released online but for now please go to lastcallforthebayou.com um, learn more about the film, see the trailer, um, and, you know, support these films because it's so important. And this is how we help people understand what's happening, what needs to happen, and really what's at stake to so many people in Louisiana. So I w- thank you both for this beautiful and, and incredibly powerful work that you've produced.
2: No, thank you. And we've listened to so many episodes of Delta that we know we, now that we finally made it. Yeah, We're well, before we,
1: you go, you have to tell us very, very quickly the best thing you ate here in Louisiana oh, as your fun question.
2: Uh, Ah, oh,
1: good answer. Nadia? <laughs> oh, I'm definitely, I'm fried
2: food, fried
3: shrimp, for sure, fried oh, shrimp, cool. and, then, and you know what, oysters, we it has permanently affected us. Charbroiled no, oysters. We, we <laughs> all right, guys, I said one, I said one. one. <laughs> too many, too
2: many, yeah.
0: impossible
2: questions. All right.
3: <laughs>
0: Thanks, guys, pleasure having you Thank you on. so much, um, and thank you all great for listening. Yeah. Happy birthday, Simone, have a great time in D.C., so. and I will be back with you next week on Delta Dispatches.